Mark 10, 13, 13 to 16. About two years ago, just around Christmas time, there was a 12-year-old boy in Lauderdale, Florida. Lauder Hill, Florida. For some reason or another, who was left alone at 12 to babysit a 10-year-old girl and a 17-month-old girl who were his sisters. The 17-month-old wouldn't stop crying while he was watching TV and he couldn't hear his show. And so it made him so mad, he took a baseball bat and beat the 17-month-old child to death. Later, she was pronounced dead at the local hospital. And the 12-year-old was arrested on first-degree murder charges. And when you... Does it shake you when you hear stories like that? This happened in Florida about two years ago. I'm... You want to say you're to that point that you're not shocked anymore, but you're still shocked. And you want to be shocked. You... You want that to be so not normal that you're, you're taken off guard. When I heard that story, I wondered, like by 12, where does that amount of anger come from? How does a person get that mad that short in life? I wonder if that boy knew that anybody loved him. I wonder if anybody did love him. It just brings a lot of questions to your mind. I wonder where his mom and dad were. Wonder, wonder what was going on with him. I wonder if he had a church family. I wonder if he realizes that God loves him. I wonder if anybody's ever told him that. The national suicide rate in America is at an all-time high. And the age group that suicide is growing the fastest in is ages 9 to 14 years old. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you realize it or not. But children are in trouble. Children in America are in real, sure enough, trouble. Parents both work longer hours than ever. America recently, uh, in the last couple of years, they did a global study and found out that Americans have the longest work week in the world. So you put both parents out of the home all week. The nuclear family's broken down. Divorce and the blended family, the extended family's broken down. We live in such a mobile society, the average person moves every four years. So even if you have relatives, oftentimes there's too much dysfunctionality or distance for, for, for the support to be there in the life of a child. Too often a child becomes power leverage in a family argument. I've been in the middle of several different types of family breakups and you go to court and it doesn't take you long to realize what the kids are. They're sort of pawn pieces that are played at strategic moments because there's no other way to get leverage over the other person. Humanistic teaching is designed to re-engineer society and it's now reached kindergarten levels. There's all kind of things being taught in the secular education system to kindergartners to reprogram their minds so when they become adults, they'll think like some people think they ought to think. Society's moving at such a fast pace and kids are exposed to so much so young. In our jagged, angry, politically charged world, it's really tough on the tender, pliable, small little child. Their minds are stuck there. In this series, God is love. 
Tonight, I just wanted to look at a different part of Scripture that maybe we sometimes miss. A different part of the kingdom that we sometimes miss. If God is love, where does He, where does he focus that love? Where does He point it? Where does He direct Himself? What, what captures the attention of God? One of the places that I think that captures his attention are the lives of children. Little ones. Young, but not just young in age, young in faith. People who are young in living or they're young in the kingdom. Either way, you have two different people that are both developing. They're forming. What they're going to become is not yet determined, but it's taken shape. It's coming together. Look at Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16 with me. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have Him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, He was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to Me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, how many of you read this story? Most everybody? Surely most everybody. I don't want to make the disciples to be belligerent. I don't want to make them out to be really bad guys. I've heard the story told that way before. These evil, terrible, malicious disciples, look what they were doing. They were probably only looking out for Jesus' interest. You know, Jesus was not long before he was going to climb up on the cross and die. Jesus had already predicted his death several times. He was growing tired. He was growing weary. He was pouring out and giving out and giving himself out. He was on a collision course with the cross. And there are some places that just aren't for kids. Maybe it's not because anything... Bad's happening, but maybe it's just the seriousness of the occasion. It's just not, the moment's just not right for children. And surely, surely this would be one of those moments. I mean, this was serious business. Jesus only had so much time left and so much energy left, and the disciples were just trying to take care of everything, like a good usher in church might, or a good greeter would go and make sure everyone had a seat and everything was taken care of, and everything was in order, and everybody's needs were being attended to. Or at least that's probably how it sounded in their head. Have you ever had one of those moments where something seemed completely reasonable to you in your brain until you said it out loud? Anybody? Sure, why don't you come over to our house and eat? And your wife looks at you and says, we have no food. <laughs> right? Hey, can I sign you up? Yeah, sign me up for five of them. Did you go, did I say that out loud? I have to pay for that, right? Things that seem completely reasonable inside. The disciples are trying to take care of Jesus. <laughs> what could be wrong with that? They're trying to protect Him. And all of it sounds perfectly reasonable except for one thing. It made Jesus, the Bible says, indignant. It made Him cross-eyed, fire-spitting, breathing, fighting mad. I don't know. We always talk about there's only a couple times Jesus wept. But I don't know if you ever looked up the times Jesus was mad. He wasn't mad much. How many of you would be scared of Jesus when he's mad? 
scare me to death. Jesus was mad. Maybe not because of the tone, but because they'd once again misunderstood what the kingdom was about. You know, Jesus really only got mad a few times. And let me tell you what it almost always had to do with. When people made living for God too complicated, that made Jesus mad. When people made it harder than it was. When they made it smarter than it was. When they made it more complicated than it was. When they added more rules than were actually there. It, I don't know why. It ticked Jesus off. It made him angry. Isn't that what the Pharisees did? They made the path so narrow that only they and their friends could find it. Nobody, uh, it's the friends and family program. The Pharisees and their, their friends. Jesus' disciples misunderstood what the kingdom was about. Let me tell you what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about simplicity. Or at least that's what Jesus said. Just approach it like a child. Just come like a, just come like a child would come. Just approach it simple. You don't need charts and graphs and, you know, 99 reasons Jesus is coming back by Thursday. You don't need all this complicated stuff. Just when you come to God, why don't you just, I don't know, why don't you just pretend you're a child? There was a dad this morning that I was praying with. And he said, man, I really feel like that I'm pushing my wife and kids away. Man, it's like the Lord just said something to him. It just came so strong in me. I just said, why don't you stop focusing on trying to be a good dad? And why don't you stop trying so hard? And why don't you start trying to focus on being a good child? The best dads are great children. Right? Just be a child of God. And you'll find that that relationship will flow over through you into your family and things will start to change. Isn't that right? The kingdom's about simplicity. It's about making way for those who can't make a way for themselves. You see, Jesus, in his answer, you see this reflected. Unless you enter the kingdom as a child, he said you can't even enter it. In other words, Jesus is saying you can't get into my kingdom if you overcomplicate it. And in my kingdom, there's always time for children and new believers. There's always time. In other words, God's saying, I'm love and I'm pointing my love. I'm directing my love toward the young and the young in faith. Toward the child, toward those who are forming. You know, Jesus always seemed to find himself in situations where he was accused of spending time with the wrong people. Tax collectors, sinners, and now children. How did children become wrong people? Can you imagine that? But yet I look 2,000 years later and society and, and families and people in churches have a way of making those who just don't get it quite like the rest of us yet be the wrong people. Don't we? We find a way to make the simple, the child, the childlike, the young in faith, the new believer. And society has a way of marginalizing those. It's, it's survival of the fittest. Those that just can't keep up. The old, the young, 
the simple, the, the unbelieving, those that still have questions. We live in such broken times, though, there's relational and family poverty. The way to grow a church, I'll tell you how to grow a church in modern America. Target the church consumer. Look for the person who's looking for a church. Right? Look for the one who can't wait to find, who they run mad all week long, who you can convince them to bring their empty, dry shell to the church to be refilled for another week of compulsive living. Amen. Just come when you can. Come and receive a blessing. Be blessed. Oh, yeah. Pay your tithe. But aren't there deeper questions? Aren't there deeper questions? The North American church has created some systems that just keep the kids and the young and those new in faith out of the way so we can just lower our landing gear once a week, hit the runway, fuel back up, and head back out in another week of living. We don't need to slow down and attend to those things. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus would, like if Jesus were here like we are now, if he'd have come at this time, do you think Jesus would like work in the nursery? I think, I think modern day foot washing is probably diaper changing. Well, I don't know what else it'd be. I don't know a lower task than that. Do, do, do you think Jesus would slow down to bring those who are new in faith and new in life along the way? All I know is what Jesus' disciples thought was important and what Jesus thought was important were two different things. They said, oh, no, 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 no. You, you, you folks with the kids, push them out of the way. Jesus is here and he's doing important things and we got to move on to the next town. We're going to fold the tent up, pack the camels up and elephants. We'll move on to the next town. The ringmaster will set up and it'll all start over. But Jesus said, you're a Jesus. He, they rebuked those people. The disciples rebuked those people. And that made Jesus mad. Do you think in our society, our fast-paced, go, get, have, seize, we could ever get to that place? This probably feels to you like a really unnatural thing to say after we just had God as love this morning. The only thing is, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about what God loves. And one thing I know from Mark chapter 10, God loves children. And he loves young in faith. He loves those in those stages and places in life. And, and we, to be like God, we have to embrace what God loves. We have to embrace God's heart. I remember several years ago, I went to Argentina on a missions trip and we were sitting there in the Sunday morning service. If you've ever been to South America or somewhere like that, you know things happen spontaneously. Like right on the dime. <laughs> they're passing notes down, interpreting part of the service. So we just get a little bit, you know, he's talking about, you know, Daniel in the lion's den. He's talking about this. He's talking about that. Then all of a sudden the missionary sends a note down and says, hey, they want you to teach kids church. <laughs> I said, send that one back. There's something wrong here. <laughs> they want you to teach kids church. I went over the missionary. I said, listen, you don't understand. I scare children. They're scared of me. You can ask, she's children, I'm teenagers. That's just the way it works. 
That's the way we've divided our home. She taught preschool, first grade, third grade. I work with high school and middle school and college. I'm not kids. I scare them. I frighten them. They cry. When I was 17, they put me in the rainbows class and almost killed a kid. And it was, I'm telling, and it happened to be the principal of my high school's kid. I just tell you, that's a mistake. Don't do that. I threatened him. I said, you color on the table again, I'm going to throw you in the dumpster. You know what he did? Because he knew. So I grabbed him and put him over my shoulder and headed out in the parking lot. And he was screaming, no, no. And I opened the door to the dumpster and I said, I told you, you're going in. And I don't know if God helped me or not, but I stopped right there. Thank God. And I brought him back in. That kid never acted up again. Well, at least for the two weeks I had left in there. That was it for me in kids' ministry. So I knew, I said, that, look, this, I said, little mission, this is not a good idea. You don't want me. I'm telling you, I'll kill them. You don't want me. I don't belong in there. And he said, oh, look, you please, and you know, and this and that. And I said, oh, okay. And, you know, Jesus loves you, and, and Jesus loves people and kids, and you should go anyway, and it doesn't matter, and all this stuff. And finally, I just said, all right. I'll go. And so I start getting my team together. I said, you're going to juggle. You're going to do magic tricks. I'm looking up a scripture. Let's go. Because it started in like three minutes. That's how much time they give you. They took that scripture, be instant in season and out of season, literally. So we went down to kids' church. All these little Argentine kids are running around looking. I got the kid juggling, you know. He's like, what are we going to do now? So I don't keep juggling. <laughs> Just keep juggling. And he started doing magic tricks. And then finally, this passage came to my mind. So I opened this passage and I started reading it. Of course, we had to have a translator. And just as I was teaching, this little bitty Argentine boy, about two years old, dawdled up and, and grabbed my leg. And he held onto my leg like this. And he looked up at me with his sweet little brown eyes. Beautiful little boy. And I thought, <laughs> I don't... So I picked him up. I thought, I thought kids were scared of me. So it was a miracle. So I picked him up and I just put him up here on my shoulder. And I just taught with him right here. And he just stood there and he'd look around. Every now and then, you ever see a child look you right in the eye? They don't want anything. They just want to look. He'd just look at me. And I'd look at him. And I'd say, well, hey, he couldn't understand a word I was saying. I just kept talking and kept teaching the kids. And you know what, though? Somehow that little moment set that entire little kid's room at ease. And uh, after it was over, I set that little guy down. And I hugged him. And, and he ran back. But he, he stayed with me about 15, 20 minutes the whole time. You know what that little guy taught me? Kids don't really know if you're good at what you're doing. Because I was not. But they know if you care. God is love. And God loves kids. God loves new believers. He loves those that are, that are forming if I've heard him say it once, I've heard Pastor Ron say it a thousand times. You can always tell the future of a society. Have you heard him say it? By how it treats its children. Isn't that true? As we live out legacy, less love, less, 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 let's put our finger on God's wrist and feel the pulse of his heart that beats for the young in faith and make a way for them to grow. The young in life 
and make a way for him to know Jesus in his power, in his, in his presence. See, it's, it's not that we want to be a church for the young. That's not the deal. It's not that, I'll tell you what, to have a really good growing church, you, you have to have a good kids ministry. That's not what it is either. That's not what it is. Here's the, here's the thing. It's that, it's that God loves the young in life and the young in faith. Because what's happening is, is they're coming up. A little kid sits in the classroom. Their brains are being wired. They're taking on attitudes about life and about God and about uh, family and about marriage and about society and about everything. They're taking on values. But you know what? The same thing happens to you when you're born again. You come into the kingdom and you're a clean slate. But you know what I think God realizes in his wisdom? That once that thing gets set, you've got to break it up with a jackhammer. And so it's easier while it's being formed to shape it right than it is to break it up and redo it. You ever had some crazy things stuck in your head? It's just me. And God had to like work them out. Once them things get dry and set up, it's like old concrete in there. And God's got to break them up and drive them out in a sense, rewire us and start over. But man, the enemy figured it out. He's targeting them young. The enemy will take a person who accepts Jesus at this altar on Sunday morning and by lunch, he'll be all over them. Because he knows if their spirit, their mind, their soul, their faith can be formed right, they're going to be deadly. And he wants to cut it off right there. And the same thing happens to us as children. Maybe that's why God said, look, disciples, you got it wrong. We want to love what God loves, right? We want, we want God's heart on things. New believers, new babies, those that are forming. What kind of people, the, the young and the young in faith. Do you know this morning, the people that will be leading this church in 25 years were in our children ministry? How, how are they doing? What's happening in their brains? What's happening in their little hearts? What's happening in their spirits? It matters. Because it won't be long. The baton will be passing again. And they'll be coming up. And it keeps going on and on and on and on. There's a line of people waiting to see Jesus. You ever waited in a line? I hate waiting in lines. You, anybody go shopping tax-free day at the promenade? Jesus was not there, I can tell you that. <laughs> I ran into some other demons, but Jesus wasn't there. All these folks waiting in line, there Jesus is, ministering, doing what he does. The, the disciples were trying to keep the hustle and bustle to keep the line moving, and Jesus just breaks protocol and woos the little children in front of the line so he can bless them. Can you imagine what that must have meant to those kids? When we went to Honduras a couple of months ago, it was so awesome to see the pastor of that church was a 14-year-old girl when, we, when, when the team went, when Pastor Ron led the team 30 years ago. And now there she is leading the church. God loves kids. There's a reason. God loves new believers. 
And you know, as we move on and try to drink God's heart in, man, let's just drink the part of his heart that says, make sure that you take time for that man, that woman, that family, that person around you who says, look, I'm new here. This is our first Sunday or I just accepted Christ last week. What do I do now? Jesus would say, stop everything. Whatever you think is going on around here is important. That's the group that matters. Let's stop and go help them. Matthew 10, I I didn't give Jason this verse, but I do want to show it to you. Matthew 10, 41. I want to show you something. Several years ago, I was studying this verse and learned an incredible thing. Matthew 10, 41 and 42. Matthew 10, 41 and 42. I'm going to ask Micah to come. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a... Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. It's almost a tongue twister, isn't it? So if you receive a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. If you receive a righteous man, you get a righteous man's reward. But look at this. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little, little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, not that he'll receive a reward... He won't lose his reward. Now that's different. A prophet, a righteous man, you receive their reward. But you touch one of these little ones and you won't lose your reward. I suppose the prophet and the righteous man's reward could be lost. I don't know. But here at the end it says, these little ones. Do you know I looked that up in the Greek? Do you know what it means? It can mean one of two things, and it can go either way. It can mean a child or a new believer. It can mean either one. It could be a person who's just not lived long, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12 years old. It could be a person who's not lived long in the kingdom. But either way, anyone who offers a cup of cold water, anyone who ministers to that person will not lose their reward. What do you think that means? And I think that means that God says, I love that that place where people are being shaped is sacred. That place where a person's mind, where their heart, where their attitude, where their thoughts are being set. It's a sacred season. It has to be invested in. has to be cared for. has to be paid attention to. And you know, maybe Jesus also knows the tendency of people. Over time, those things tend to be pushed to the side for what's urgent. So, I really don't have tonight any extraordinary thing to ask you to do. Not asking you to sign up to work in kids' ministry. Not asking you to jump in the nursery next week. None of that would hurt. Not asking you to work in the new believer ministry. That'd be good too. I'm just saying. As you look at the God who is love 
Next Sunday, we'll, we'll look at two more parts. But on Sunday night, I thought, this is a church that's always loved the young. Surely that's something that we can just keep going. That we'll love not, not youth culture. That's not what it's about. But that season where somebody is just trying to get their legs in the faith. Somebody's just trying to understand. Do you remember what it was like to not know? Do you remember what it was like to not understand? I remember sitting on a pew at 16 years old. No family that went to church all by myself in a strange place. listening to people speak in tongues that I'd never heard in my life. Trying to figure out what in the world it was God was saying to me. And you know, there were so many people that just put their arms around me and taught me so much stuff. And that's just how it works. It's just how it works. Well, tonight, I want you to stand with me. I just want us to close in prayer.